Hey everyone, welcome to Emmanuel Fellowship's podcast. This is Pastor Trent, the founding pastor of Emmanuel Fellowship, a church in South Minneapolis that exists to serve our city and to live for God's glory. Thanks for tuning into our podcast. We pray that this message encourages you to follow Jesus and to see his presence and power everywhere in your life. So this week I got um, a notification on my phone um, from a friend who said, oh hey, by the way, Sorry for the rude awakening on Wednesday night in Kansas City. Now, that doesn't mean anything to you, but to me, it meant that on Wednesday night this week, my Minnesota United soccer boys, they got dismantled by Kansas City. I didn't watch the game, um, but I got a notification that night that the score was four to nothing, which is it's pretty bad. Like, that's, that's not a good showing for them. And they had actually beat that team earlier in the season, so it's really bad. And the, the chaplain who's in Kansas City, who also is sort of like the senior chaplain, the chaplain of the chaplains, which I actually get to serve as a chaplain um, for the team, he reached out, of course, the day after they had completely gutted our team and wanted to see how I was doing. Um, but while we were texting back and forth, I said, hey, you know what? The game could have gone completely differently if one of my guys had not hit the goal post in the first 10 minutes, but had scored a goal. Like, that would have set the course of the game in a completely different direction. And, of course, in his sort of wise, you know, spiritual, gentle way, he goes, yes, life is full of if moments, and some of those if moments can even change our destiny, even our eternity. He said, there is the truth that choices, steps of faith, and seizing the moment God has put before us matters. He said, I love you all. Let's talk soon. Now, Steve has something that I want. He has something that I want more of because even in the mundane things of life, there is about him an awareness of God. And this isn't the first time I've seen it, you know, in a text chat. And he's not just saying the right thing to say. But as I watch his life, which has, he's, he's seasoned as a chaplain, has served the local church for years, has received ministry from others, has often given and encouraged and really supported athletes for a long time. As I look at his life, there's some maturity about him. And the thing that I see present in him is this awareness of God. There is a sense of God that he has, that God shows up, that God works, that God is active in all of the events and circumstances of our lives, even a soccer game. And I want that. I want more of that a conviction, an experience that whatever is happening, God is somehow present and at work. That's actually really close to the way we would describe one of the pieces of maturity. We're in a series here in September where I'm trying to frame out the horizon for us as a church. If you look to the setting sun and you go, hey, where are we headed? Where are we driving towards? What's the goal? What's the win for us as a community? What we would say is, the win is maturity. We want to make mature disciples of Jesus. And there's something about our society as of late where maturity seems to be lacking in every quarter. But Christians are supposed to be working and building and growing towards maturity in all of life. 
And so we thought, what if we just state that as our goal? We want to help present people mature in Christ. We want the gospel to, show, to so form them deeply that they are able to then live fully and freely. We're after maturity. That's our horizon. And so last week what we looked at is one of three phrases. Hopefully phrases that you can remember. Phrases maybe even that the kids in the school could grab a hold of and remember. The horizon for us, maturity for us, looks like all of God, all of life, and all of me. All of God, all of life, and all of me. And last Sunday, the key word was Trinity. That somehow in the way that the gospel, this good news about Jesus is taught and then proclaimed around the world, the true fullness of God is revealed in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Such a way that God's offered to us a relationship, a kind of knowing the the maker of the universe. And not just in an impersonal way, in a highly personal way. That was last week. But this week, I want to talk about all of life. What we believe is that those who are mature in the faith, they live with a sense of God's presence in all of life. They're aware of God. They're alive to God in all things. The way we would say it is the gospel reframes. It changes the way you see in all of life so that you begin to see God more consistently and more clearly. Okay, so... That's what I want to tackle this morning is all of life. I'm going to use this classic passage in chapter 4 of Philippians. Perhaps it's a well-known verse, or maybe it's the first time that you've heard it, that, that we should not be anxious about anything but by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, we should present our requests to God. And this incredible picture of peace guarding, protecting our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. Such a powerful passage. I actually shared it with the, the players last night, and one of the guys says, it's fuego. It's, it's, so, it's fire. It's so good. And it is. But let's talk about what it means for us, okay? So here's what we're going to do. If you're a note taker, you want to know what's going on today, here's how I'm going to flow. All right, I want to talk about some of life, and then all of life, and then changing your life, okay? Some of life, all of life, and then changing your life. Let's read this part again. This is verse 1 of chapter 4. Therefore, my brothers, or brothers and sisters, therefore, my family, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown. I love that. I prayed that for you guys often this week. Like, just because I love you. Like, the way that Paul is affectionate for the, towards this church. Like, I just pray, God, would you even increase my love for the people of Emmanuel Fellowship? Like, would, would they be my joy, my love? Would my affection even grow for you as individuals, for you as a community? I want more of that as well. And then he says, stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. Stand firm. I entreat Euodia and I entreat Sintichi to agree in the Lord. Apparently, they were not agreeing. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, that's the the carrier of the letter, the, the, the writer of the letter that's carrying it to this church, my true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice, verse four, in the Lord always. And again, I will say, I insist, rejoice. Let your reasonableness, your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. And if you've got a different translation of the Bible, my favorite one here is the New International Version. It says, the Lord is near. The Lord's near. 
Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Listen, most of us navigate life such that some of life for us is lived with an awareness of God's presence. Some of life, we feel like we're connected to God. Some of life, we feel like we can hear or see God. Some of life, we feel like we could be led by God. In the case for Yodia and Sintichi and for the church here at Philippi and for the rest of us here today is that we actually have some of life where we really know God's presence. And if you are here this morning and you say, I don't have any of life where I know that God is present, my hope is that this morning you actually get a taste of that. Maybe not experience the full thing, but you get a taste that somehow in this place, God is here. And I can see people interacting with the living God in meaningful ways. But some of us live some of life with a sense of God's presence. And if you think about that, here's what it means. It means that we live portions of our life with an assumption of God's absence. I mean, it has to be, right? If we have some of life where we know God is near and with us, but other parts of life where we're kind of like, yeah, I don't know what God has to do with this or where he is in this. It means that we live portions of our life assuming God's absence, that he's not there. And if the presence of God is somewhat bound to Sunday in a church service or in a small group or in a Bible reading time or in a prayer time, then what happens is you could live large portions of your life assuming the absence of God, going about your normal daily life, doing what you do without any connection to him or without any comfort of his presence. Okay, so what do I mean here? Like, how could we define a sense of God's presence? Well, practically, I think this means in the presence of God communicates that God's near. His nearness to you, his availability to you, his, with, his being with you. The sense of God's presence isn't always a sensory experience. All right, so think about the last Disney movie you watched, or maybe it's a romantic comedy, and you know that moment where, like, um, the storyline is starting to resolve, and, like, the music, the soundtrack is running and playing full loud, and the cinematography is sort of, like, on full blast, and it, it has this magic to it, and you're like, oh, I feel something. Like, feel goosebumps, or just get swept up into the story. Is that what God's presence is? I mean, when other people besides me are helping lead worship, you might actually have that happen on a Sunday morning, you know? Like, um, like where, where you get swept up into the music, there's the build of a chorus, and, and you really feel like God is here, and I feel something. When we say a sense of God's presence, are we just after God bumps, tingles, or are we after something else? Well, think about it. I'll tell you from my own life, I can have a sense of God's presence in my guilt, because I know that all of a sudden I've made aware that I'm wrong. And I know that the scriptures say that the Holy Spirit is the one who brings about conviction and then he's at work showing me something. I can have a sense of God's presence in my thoughts, knowing that I've sort of hit a roadblock somewhere, but then all of a sudden God leads me down another path or connects a certain line of thinking in a way that I would have never thought of before. I can sense God's presence in my prayers. 
right? When I'm praying for you and then certain people start to come to mind as if God's saying, hey, would you think about this person? Would you, would you follow up with that person? I can sense God's presence. Like when I, when I see events line up, like when something happens and all of a sudden like this sort of domino effects goes and I go, God, you're doing something here. You're at work. I can sense God's presence in decisions, Just like in the book of Acts, repeatedly as church leaders came together to reason through things and make key decisions, they said, this seems good to us and to the Holy Spirit as well. I can sense God's presence in my body. I can sense God's presence when I'm serving others and I feel the smile of God saying, hey, you're doing what I want you to do. You're using the gifts that I've given you to use. You can sense God's presence upon your heart when you have a moment of adoration devotion, and you realize you're beholding, you're enjoying the one your soul was meant to be satisfied with. Listen, I think that sometimes our understanding of God's presence is more shallow than scriptural. It's more emotional than it is every day. And the reason that we lack maturity is that we tend to suffer from this disposition of God's absence rather than God's presence. And Paul lays it plain for us to see what it produces in our lives, right? Anxiety. It produces anxiety in our lives, right? He says here, well, there's already conflict going on between these women, and there's certainly some struggle going on in the church. There's suffering going on in Paul's life. So he's not saying life is going to be cush, And therefore, you know that God's there. No, not at all. He's saying life can be incredibly difficult and challenging, and you can know that God is near, that God is with you. He says, let your gentleness be evident, your reasonableness. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about everything, anything, but but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, because the peace of God, which surpasses understanding, will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. Listen, some of the way that we approach God's presence reveals that we've settled for a sum of life spirituality rather than an all of life spirituality. And just like my mentor, the chaplain of the chaplains, what maturity looks like is gaining an ever-increasing awareness of God at work in all of life. So what does it mean to sense God's absence? If we talk about, it means to sense God's presence in a variety of different ways, not just sort of in that emotional feel-good sense, but to sense God's absence means that your heart is beginning to beat faster. Your mind is beginning to race more constantly. There's a consistent anxiety happening in your soul. If you look at just here in chapter four, here's what you can see. Oftentimes, your experience of God's absence will look like an unnecessary conflict. Not that conflict is bad, but it's clear to see that these two women are reacting to one another rather than seeking to understand one another. I mean, for a while, even in the language, they were fighting side by side together, laboring together for the cause of the gospel, and now they're fighting one another, unable to be reconciled, perhaps reacting to one another in the whole process. Reactivity is one of the ways that anxiety takes shape. Another way is that it takes shape in sort of the overthinking of your circumstances. The constant cycle 
in your brain, the looping thought that happens and characterizes the worry of your soul. Rob already read, don't worry, don't be anxious about anything from Jesus's words, right? But actually doing that, not being anxious about anything is rather challenging. And partially because I think we, over time, by sin in our world and sin in our lives, have gained a pattern of mistrust where it's hard to trust that others want our good and it's hard to trust that God is after our good given the challenges that we face in our lives. Something about our trust has fallen and therefore our peace has waned. John Bowlby pioneered the study of attachment theory in the world of psychology in the 1970s. Really interesting work that's actually really helpful still today. And what he said is there are four basic attachment patterns that people have that get shaped early on in life, in childhood, from primary caregivers. He said most children either experience their primary caregivers as avoidant, as ambivalent, as scattered, or as stable. Now, I'm not going to give you a lesson in psychology for all those um, categories, but, but what he's getting at is that a child's experience of the key adults in their life tends to shape how they trust or how they avoid trusting others. And I think when it comes to trusting the Lord, especially in the circumstances of our life, the way that we've learned to attach to others and the way that perhaps we've learned to attach ourselves to God reveals that, that we often operate out of mistrust because we're protecting ourselves rather than a deep trust because we, we realize the Lord is providing for us. When you're confident that someone in your life is willing to help you, often you go to them. Right? When you're unsure if somebody's going to hurt you, what do you do? You pull back from them. And I think in relationship with God, that plays out every day of our lives. If we're confident the Lord's near and the Lord wants to help us, that he has good for us, we'll consistently talk with him. We'll bring our cares and concerns to him. The primary factor there is trust. Trust is essential to developing an appropriate relationship with others and with God. Because trust opens you up, makes you receptive to what God is doing. But mistrust closes you down, makes you guarded, reactive, protective. Most of us navigate some of life with an absence of God in our, in our thinking. And what I want to press us to, church, is that we need to gain a greater awareness of God's presence in all of life. Because if you look at what it brings, it's truly beautiful. Do you see these adjectives, these words in Philippians 4? The nearness of the Lord, when we trust him, it brings peace. It brings gentleness. It brings comfort. It brings protection, right? It's phenomenal what this does to your mind and to your heart when you begin to entrust yourself to God through prayer such that he changes the way that you think you realize I am guarded, I am protected. And now I'll admit to you that the simplicity of this verse often disappoints us. I was talking with someone in the church re recently and they go, listen, I've tried Philippians 4 and it just doesn't work. Like I've tried the whole pray it away approach and like I pray 
And then the anxiety is still there, right? Like, it's just like, I don't know what you're talking about. Maybe it works for others. They just sort of like say a prayer and then all of a sudden they're carefree. But that doesn't work for me. And now I hear that, right? But I think if, if our approach is to pray it away, we've missed the depth of this passage. You've missed that like Paul is pushing them to wrestle with the nearness of the Lord. Like, is the Lord really near in this conflict going on between these women? Like, is the Lord really near in Paul's own imprisonment as he's writing from prison? Is the Lord really near in terms of the opportunities for the gospel to advance there in Philippi? Like, is God there? And Paul would say, yes, so much so that if God is near, you can trust him. The factor is not just, have I done the technique? Have I used the mechanism to make for peace? But has my soul shifted such that I trust him? Prayer is often the vehicle where we wrestle with God to the point where we do trust him going forward. The key word there, as I've said already, is nearness. Steve Cuss, um, in the midst of the pandemic, released what I think is his life work, a book and then a subsequent podcast called Managing Leadership Anxiety. It's phenomenal work. Like, I would encourage you um, to check it out. Um, and his thesis is this, that, oh, that anxiety steals our awareness of God. Or to put it in the language of the Apostle Paul, anxiety steals our sense of the nearness of God. All of a sudden, as our mind starts running towards anxiety, where we, we are worrying about what's in us, or perhaps we're worrying about the way we're relating to someone other, or worrying about what's going on in them, or all of a sudden the room has a mood and we've just absorbed it and taken it onto ourselves, it has a way of limiting and closing our minds and hearts to God, rather than opening them to Him in trust. And I think he's right. I think that Anxiety has a way of completely closing out and putting a ceiling upon the heavens such that God is not there and we feel as if God is not near. So one of the things that I've perhaps mentioned before a time or two is that sleep is often an issue at the Senskis. All right, we have four kids and they don't sleep very well. We were joking at um, dinner this week that um, it takes a long time for my kids to learn how to sleep. Um, we've tried a lot of different things, and they don't really learn. Um, but this time, this week, the issue is not actually them learning to sleep, but my three-year-old waking up from sleep. He's at that age where he's starting to have more dreams, and then, of course, starting to have more nightmares, right? Um, and I don't know, I'm not the best person at two in the morning when I get woken up to deal with a child, but there's something about nightmares that has like a special place in my heart. Like, they're just never annoying to me. I don't know if it's like the little kid in distress and I just, I want to go help, but like, man, this little boy, I, I, I'm happy to go to his room in the middle of the night because he's, he's, he's scared. And as I go in there, and as I begin to speak to him, you can see him respond to my voice and settle, as I begin to scratch his back, you can, you can just, he just starts to respond to my touch, and all of a sudden he's calmed down. It's a beautiful thing. Now, I can't actually stay there all night speaking to him and like scratching his back, so inevitably there comes a point where I've got to reassure him that he's okay, and that even though I'm gone from the room, I'm still near. 
And so even though the sensory moment where speaking and scratching of back has gone, the, the nearness reality is not gone. I'm still there and I'm still with him. And, and that's something for us that we need, church, that we need to realize that even when the moments where we, we, we feel like we're with God come and go, the reality of his nearness to us never fades. But here's the thing. My boy has not learned my nearness in crisis. He has learned my nearness by consistency. Right? It's not that like I'm some random person and in the middle of the night I'm there in crisis and then all of a sudden he knows and trusts me and he's comforted by me. It's, it's the fact of my nearness with him as we play and as we learn and as we wrestle and as we eat together and as we live together. It's that consistency, not crisis, that actually convinces him that I'm near and available to him even when he's going through something like he is. He has an all-of-life sense of his daddy's presence. That's the kind of growth that we're looking for, church. The kind of growth where like more of our life is lived with a constancy of God's presence rather than only in life when we experience crisis have we reached out to get sort of out of trouble and into peace. So writing about spiritual formation, Dr. Harrington says this. He says, rather than living a reflective life characterized by the classic spiritual disciplines, far often we live a frantically busy life that occasionally has a quiet time. I mean, here's the problem with that. As we try and get some control over everything that's pulling at us, God has not assigned us to a Sunday or a you know, spiritual moment kind of life. Rather, he has invited us to a permeating presence, an all-of-life kind of experience. And the way that we grow is when that shift happens in our souls. And I truly believe that for many of you, you want that. You don't want a life assuming God's absence. You do want a life where you experience God's presence. And so if that, if that is our horizon, if that's where we're headed, to make mature disciples of Jesus who live all of life with a sense of God's presence, if we're becoming disciples who relate to God more consistently rather than only in crisis, what that's going to mean is we have to reframe and change how we see. And that's what the gospel does. The gospel offers us a hope that spiritual sight can be ours. That's actually the language present within the scriptures, church, right? Where, where, <clears throat> where those who don't know the Lord have actually been blinded in their sight. But those who've come to know Christ have had their eyes opened to see spiritual reality. But it's not just that we get to see. It's, it's that the gospel actually then starts to train us how to see and how to perceive as we walk through life. And the way that that starts is when you realize that the Lord Jesus is the mirror for you as one who has constantly lived in God's presence. But not only does he as the mirror hold up, show the contrast between you and him, but he comes as the Messiah for you. Right? This is the good news of the gospel, that Jesus, so longing for you to experience the presence of God, went to the cross where he experienced for the first time the absence of God. 
that he went so longing that you would know the nearness of God, that he went to the cross to be cut off away far from God. That was him taking your sin upon him so that you might actually be freed from your spiritual blindness and begin to walk with a kind of spiritual sight where your connection with God can grow and your trust in his nearness would would flourish. Jesus has done that for you. But the truth of that starts to change and transform you so that you can see differently. Dallas Willard wrote at one point that the goal for followers of Jesus is that we would find him so admirable in every respect, so wise, so beautiful, so powerful, so good, that we constantly seek to be in his presence and guided, instructed, and helped by him in every area of life. That's the life of a disciple. where We find Jesus, our leader, so admirable, so beautiful, that we follow him into his ways, relating closely to God in all of life. All right, before we go, I want to show you a couple ways that this looks. Obviously, the Apostle Paul gives us some help here. He says, hey, the way that this looks is that I know God can be with me when I have a lot or I have a little. I know God can be with me when I endure trials or when I experience blessing and flourishing, right? He gives a lot of categories of changing the way that you think and thinking on things that are good and right and true and noble. But I want to talk about four specific things for our church that you can know I'm, I'm beginning to live with a sense of God's presence, okay? Here's number one. You know you're living with a sense of God's presence when the fruit of the Spirit start to show up in your life. The fruit of the Spirit is that classic passage from Galatians 5 where Paul says, the evidence of God's presence, of his Spirit at work in you is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. There's nine of them. If you've not memorized that verse, I just want to challenge you to do it this week. Memorize the list. See how they start to pop up in relationship with, 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 with others. See how they start to come out in your soul. The reality here for the fruit of the Spirit is that if your faith is in Jesus, those things are actually in you, right? Those things have been deposited in you. The Holy Spirit lives within you, and you get to draw them out. They're there, but you've got to trust him, follow him, be led by him, and those things all of a sudden start popping up, growing in your life. Whenever somebody is living with a sense of God's presence, the fruit of the Spirit's there. Start to see them in your life. Start to perhaps check them in others' lives so that you can encourage them to grow as well. Not only the fruit of the Spirit, but when when someone lives with a sense of God's presence, they have a faithfulness about them. There's a faithful presence in that person. They have a habit of showing up regularly, consistently. They show up at church. They show up in community. They show up for friendships. And they don't just there. They're not just a warm body, but like they're there. Like they're not there, but thinking somewhere else. They're there fully. I mean, I think that's the one of the most breathtaking things about Jesus. You read through the stories in the gospels, you don't find a story of him sort of distracted. You don't, you don't find a story of him going like, he's, he's, uh, he's off there, like thinking about something else. He's just always showing up for people. Even when it seems like he's blindsided and someone derails his plans, he's able to show up fully 
mentally, emotionally, spiritually. And there is in someone who is living with a sense of God's presence, a faithful presence of their own, that they have learned to be faithful. Because I can tell you that most of the spectacular happens in the ordinary. I can think of so many times that I've showed up somewhere and thought it was going to be mundane and ordinary. But just by being there, it's almost as if God sees and God smiles and God decides in that particular moment to show up in a way that's miraculous, in a way that I didn't expect. But the way that those moments come is when you embrace a bit of the mundane because of faithfulness. Because you expect God to be there. That's number three, expectancy. You can tell someone's living with a sense of God's presence when they just anticipate expect God's doing things. God's doing things in this moment, in this person, in that set of circumstances, in that work environment, with my family here. They expect the Lord is at work and on the move. And the last thing I'd say is, you can tell someone's living with a sense of God's presence when they're hospitable. When they practice hospitality, Because their disposition has moved from being closed to new relationships with others to being open to whoever God would introduce me to. There's something about that person that goes, I don't know who I'll meet. And the Lord's the one introducing me to people. And I don't know what that will mean. Like, this might be a person the Lord's sending to me. This might be a person that I get to brighten their day. This might be a person that I get to pray for. This might be someone that comes to faith because I get introduced to them. There's a hospitality present in their disposition because they have learned that new kingdom relationships are happening everywhere. Think about this way. Is there a new relationship that you can think of every month? Someone the Lord's introduced you to. Maybe it's just to be a friend, take to lunch, have a coffee with, be kind in the office to. Or maybe it's someone that the Lord's introducing you to, to bring to church, to pray for, to read the Bible with. Are you open to new relationships that God is going to bring into your life. It's one of the ways that you can tell that someone senses God's at work around me because their relational door is open. Okay, so what are we after? Our horizon is gospel maturity. And what's one of the pictures of it? An all-of-life spirituality. And we will not get there if we live some of life walking in God's presence. We must begin to live all of life, resting in the presence of God, walking by faith, casting our cares upon him, experiencing his peace, and following his leading wherever he leads. So we pray towards that end, and then we'll respond in worship. Father, thank you um, for really a passage that has so much to offer. It offers us this picture of your nearness, what it looks like to trust in you. Even some of the practical ways that we need to work that out and put into practice to think on right things rather than to think on loops of worry and anxiety. I pray that in the simple frame of these words, you would invite us into the depths of them such that we might have a closer walk with you. Old hymn says, just a closer walk with thee. 
Grant it, Jesus. This is my plea. Daily walking next to thee. Let it be. Let it be, dear Lord, let it be. That's our prayer. May we walk more closely with you. And may we walk towards maturity in the faith. A kind of awareness of your nearness that brings peace and joy into our lives. It's for the beautiful name of Jesus that I pray. Amen.